0: Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for your incredible word. We thank you for this incredible event where your Holy Spirit came and dwelt uh, your followers. God, as this day was a one-time event, your Holy Spirit continues on to the world today in the lives of those who follow you. We thank you for that. And it's that Holy Spirit that I pray will give power and authority to your words today. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. This is an incredible event we read about in Scripture. And honestly, as cool as the video is and and what the Hollywoods uh, uh, take on it, can you imagine being in that room? I mean, remember, this is a real historic event. Can you imagine being in that room when all of a sudden the Holy Spirit comes and enters? What an incredible, incredible day. What an incredible event. But before we get talking, we talk too much more about uh, this event and what what that means to us, let's talk a little bit about this day, this day Pentecost. You see, there are three feasts in uh, in Leviticus 23 that really have a lot of uh, imagery of the coming Jesus. They foreshadow Jesus and his church. First, uh, if you were able to uh, join... Clearwater and Chugach Covenant Church a couple weeks ago for our Seder dinner. That was the Passover meal. Passover is, is foreshadowing Jesus as the Lamb of God. And we, we talked about all the symbolism within the meal itself about Jesus and, and what had happened there. And it's pretty incredible stuff. And then you have this next uh, feast. It's called the Feast of First Fruits. And it's, it symbolizes, foreshadows the resurrection of Jesus, who was the first fruits of the resurrection. Because you know what? We have a promise, right? Because Jesus rose from the dead, one day you and I get to as well. Pretty incredible stuff, right? And now we move on to uh, the day of Pentecost. Pentecost, 50. So 50 days after the Feast of first fruits is the Feast of Pentecost. And this is what happens here. It symbolizes or foreshadows the coming of the Holy Spirit and the formation of Christ's church. This is pretty incredible, isn't it? You guys are going to have to talk to me a little bit today. I'll just stay right here on this point until you do. I have a 10-point sermon, so. I'm, I'm not kidding. <laughs> but they're fast points. It'll be like taking a drink from a fire hose. It'll be great. Now this week, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm skipping ahead. I'm sorry. The Feast of first fruits, like I said, was a, uh, uh, represents or foreshadows the, um, the resurrection of Jesus. The Feast of uh, um, Pentecost represents the, the coming uh, of the Holy Spirit for Christ's church and the formation of Christ's church. Now, we have a picture of a couple of loaves, I believe, on there. And what they would do at the first Feast of Pentecost, would so they have two loaves. Now, Feast of Pentecost, if you were a Jew at the time, it reminded you of the law. It was something that you did. It was, it was the, the coming of the law. But as for Christians, we look at this as, again, the formation of the church. You have two loaves, one, For the coming of the Holy Spirit to the Jews, which happened on the day of Pentecost. And then later on to the coming of the Holy Spirit to the Gentiles. So you have two that are really one. Now some would say that these loaves of bread, they have yeast in them still. Symbolic of the sin that's still uh, present in the church. Can I get an amen? (laughs) Do anybody here still deal with sin? All right, good. Because otherwise this is going to be really awkward for me. Because I totally do. So... Um, that's, that's the Pentecost. Uh, like our Lord's death at Calvary, Pentecost was a one-time thing. Pentecost was a one-time thing. I've had the privilege of uh, being in a room or, or being around people or even leading people who come to Christ for the first time and being in the presence as they become filled with the Holy Spirit, but I've yet to see the flaming tongues, but it would be stinking awesome if I did. One-time thing, uh, not going to happen anymore. However, the Holy Spirit's still very real and very present with us today. Now, although this week in the AD series, that if you watch tonight, you'll see the arrival of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, which we saw again once once again on the video here. But but we need to understand the Holy Spirit wasn't born on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit was has been around eternally as part of the Godhead Um, from the beginning. Scripture says the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Genesis one two. In the Old Testament, we frequently read several accounts of the Holy Spirit, how he would come upon people such as judges and kings and prophets. This day of Pentecost was the Holy Spirit coming to indwell the believers, the followers of Jesus Christ. It wasn't the birth of the Holy Spirit. What happens at Pentecost is the giving of the Holy Spirit to the church of Christ so that she may be able to complete her mission to be witnesses throughout the earth. We've been given the Holy Spirit of God with purpose because we have a mission. On my way here this morning, as I was driving towards the mountains, it's just this beautiful, beautiful scene this morning. I mean, it's just great outside, if you guys weren't already thinking about that. Uh, wonderful day, and I have just had this vision in my head as I was coming here. And uh, just picturing, what would it look like? What would it look like if all of Anchorage would fall to her knees and follow Christ? What would it look like if we had a great movement of the Holy Spirit of God in our midst? I'll tell you what, it's something that excites me. And while we're not going to have another day of Pentecost, I do believe we can have several more big movements of the Holy Spirit of God. And who else would like to see that? Who else would like to be a part of a great movement of the Holy Spirit of God? And see, hundreds, thousands, maybe tens of thousands come to follow him, just like in the early church. I'm here today talking to you, and Mike comes up and preaches every single week because of this fact. We believe it can happen again. We believe that God is still real. We believe the Holy Spirit is still powerful and can and will do incredible things. And we want to see it happen. Nothing more do do we want than to see the Holy Spirit of God come and take some real ground for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I am convinced that the church today both underutilizes and underappreciates the person of the Holy Spirit. I hope today we as followers of Jesus will be filled afresh with confidence in his Holy Spirit. And those of you who have yet to receive this incredible gift will leave changed this morning. That maybe today, you may not have the flame of fire on top of your head, but maybe today, this morning, for the first time ever, you will be filled with the Holy Spirit of God and be made into a new creation. According to Pastor George Wood, the Holy Spirit has at least ten distinct roles. Ten distinct roles or jobs or works. And we're going to go over, those are my ten points this morning. And we're going to go over that this morning. And again, it's going to be kind of like taking a drink from a fire hose, so kind of hang on tight. We're going to be moving quickly, and I'm going to try to stop moving closer and further away. Sorry, Brian, from this microphone. And Once again, I must put the glasses on. You know, this is horrible. I'm not sure when it happened. I'm not that old of a guy. I'm just going to take a moment to lament my age. All of a sudden, I was preaching, and I'm going... And you try to move the font, and I'm too old to figure out how to change the font on this stupid thing, so I got to wear... Anyways... Ten works of the Spirit. <laughs> Number one, the Holy Spirit exalts Jesus. Now we see how Jesus, how, how the Godhead kind of works together. We see Jesus exalts the Father, right? Think of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Jesus exalts the Father, and in like manner, the Holy Spirit exalts Jesus. Look at John 15, verse 26. It says, but when the helper comes, speaking of the Holy Spirit, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And in uh, 1614, same same, uh, book there, Jesus said, he will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The first role of the Holy Spirit of God is to exalt Jesus, and the rest of these nine have, have something to do with this. It kind of, the rest of these, as this is his primary task, the rest of them are connected, the other nine are connected to his primary task of exalting Jesus Christ. Exalting Jesus Christ. Now, number two, the second distinct work of the Holy Spirit is this the Holy Spirit convicts us. Has anybody here ever fallen under the conviction of the Holy Spirit of God? If you haven't, once again, my prayer today is, you will before you leave. John 16, 8-11 says this, Jesus identified inner conviction, oh I'm sorry, it doesn't say that, (laughs) hence the glasses. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin, because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father... And you will see me no longer concerning judgment, because this ruler of this world is judged. First of all, he gives us an awakened, the Holy Spirit gives us an awakened sense of sin. Particularly, the sin of unbelief in Jesus. For those of us who have come to Christ, who have put our faith in Jesus Christ, I believe that without the prompting of the Holy Spirit, it would not be likely for us to be able to make that decision. Now, I'm not going to get in too deep into this one, but the Holy Spirit prompts us. He convicts us of our sins. For us to come to Christ, we must first know that we are fallen. We must first know that we are sinful and feel the weight of that sin. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. Second, the Holy Spirit wants to affirm to us the righteousness of Jesus. When we feel the weight of our sin, when we feel the conviction of our sin... We recognize a righteous God. That Jesus himself is indeed righteous. And we cannot stand before a righteous God in a state of sin. This is grace. When the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, that is the grace of God, not allowing us to go further and further down the road of sin. You are, and I am, children of God. And as such, we are loved greatly by him. If you are a parent in this room... I'm guessing there are times where you have to punish your children. That they need to know when they've done something wrong. If not, I will pray for your children's workers here. (laughs) That was kind of funny. Wow. Check in to see if you're still here. All right. The third work of the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit, after he convicts us of our sins and we accept Jesus, he regenerates us. Jesus says this. Jesus answered in John 3, 5, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born of the water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Spiritual regeneration comes through the presence of the Holy Spirit. We say prayers often uh, when somebody's coming to Christ, and we call it the sinner prayer. It's probably, I don't know, 150 years old, something like that. I haven't done the history on that. But we do this prayer, and in the prayer what we're doing is we're recognizing what's taking place. We're recognizing that we're sinners, because we've been convicted of that sin, and we recognize that um, Jesus is the only way that we can get to God. Jesus has, has, has paid for our sins, and we can have a relationship because of that. But then we also ask, come Holy Spirit, in this prayer oftentimes, Lord, send your Holy Spirit to fill us, to help to guide us, to protect us, to direct us. The Holy Spirit regenerates us, means makes us into new creations. That's an incredible thing. I don't know about you, but I needed to become a new creation in my own life. The old man wasn't cutting it. I needed spiritual regeneration, and it's one of the works of the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit lives in us. 1 Corinthians 3.16, Do you not know that you are God's temple, and that God's Spirit dwells in you? Is that awesome or what? The temple of the living God. Paul's words to the church of Corinth were addressed to people who had become insensitive to the Spirit's presence. We read that Jesus throughout the uh, New Testament breathed, I'm sorry, throughout Acts, breathed the Spirit. I'm sorry, I messed up. Jesus breathed the Spirit into his disciples, and we see later the disciples breathing Spirit into others. The Spirit lives in us. Number five, the Holy Spirit seals believers Again, Apostle Paul writes this, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of, your, of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. I'll tell you, we could stop and spend a little bit of time here. Who seals you? The Holy Spirit of God. Who holds our salvation? Is it us? God holds our salvation, and that's an incredible promise. Friends, if you're anything like me, if it was up to you to hold on to your salvation, you'd drop it all the time. This is an incredible promise. Let's not move past this too quickly. The Holy Spirit, as he seals you, you are now marked. You are now changed. Your destiny, your future, it's an incredible promise that the Holy Spirit seals you. Seals the believers. Ephesians um, 4.30 says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Again, just think about the, the words here and what this means. That you were sealed for the day of redemption. Who's breaking that seal, friends? Let me help you, it's not getting broken. You are sealed for the day of redemption if you are a follower of Jesus Christ. Amen? That's an encouraging thought, at least to me this morning. When you become a believer, God takes his invisible stamp of ownership, the Holy Spirit, and brands your life. His presence in your life is a mark that you belong to God. You belong to God. The sixth work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit guides us. When leading people, again, when I said in a prayer, one of the things I say in a prayer when I'm leading somebody to Christ is, send your Holy Spirit to guide us. To guide us, to give us direction in our lives, and he will do that. Acts 8.39 says this, And the Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. Also, Acts 13.2, While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. I would encourage you this morning, regardless of the decision, to ask for the guidance of the Holy Spirit of God. Whether how small it is, however big it is, the decisions in your life, listen, we are temples of God, meaning we have the indwelling Holy Spirit. Why would we move beyond and faster than God? Why would we move before God? Being temples of God, having the opportunity to be led by the Holy Spirit, to be guided by him. Maybe we should be challenged by this, that we need to slow down in making decisions and wait for the Holy Spirit's prompting in our lives. You just never know what he might have you do and what might seem to be a small decision. You just never know. Number seven, the Holy Spirit prompts us to worship Have you ever been driving, follower of Jesus, have you ever been driving or doing something and all of a sudden you just feel like, man, I just need to worship God. I just, I feel like all of a sudden I just need to stop and worship. You ever felt that way? Good. (laughs) It's the prompting of the Holy Spirit, prompting us to worship God. The Spirit prompts believers to worship and adore the ever-living God. Ephesians 5.18-19 through 19 admonishes us to be filled with the Spirit and to worship by speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Paul went on to say in Ephesians 6.18, Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. As we take time to worship, our spiritual well is always being filled. When we're worshiping, think about this, that imagery. Your spiritual well is being filled as we worship God. As we, as we give forth more worship to Christ, he fills us spiritually. Um, for out of the life of the worshiper, John seven thirty eight says, rivers of living water will flow from within them. But when we stop being responsive to the Spirit in worship, we find that almost immediately we will run dry. The Spirit will prompt us. To worship God. He will prompt us to worship. Let us not forsake that prompting. When you feel prompted by the Spirit of God to worship, worship. That doesn't mean you have to, like, just stand up in your office and just start singing and doing like this. I mean, you might. You might get some looks. It might, might generate a conversation or two. But you can worship. Worship God quietly Sometimes. You know, just sit there and listen. That can be worship. I'm not very good at that. I'm not very good at that, just sitting there and listening. But that can be worship as well. Meditating upon God's word. I love that you guys have the uh, memory verse challenge here. That's fantastic. You know, we, we, we graduate kids out of Awana and then say, well, they've got enough scripture. You know, we as adults, we have to continue to memorize God's word. Can I share a quick story that has nothing to do with the sermon? I'm going to anyways. (laughs) A a few weeks ago, I was in Elam, Alaska at a um, a conference there. And Elam, Alaska is on the Norton Sound, kind of, I don't know, east by 90 miles of Nome. And there was this guy, Alvin. Alvin was an Eskimo from Nunavak Island. And uh, 61 years old, I don't know why I remember his age, but he was 61 years old. And he didn't say much. If you've ever been to Bush, Alaska... um, Oftentimes, your elders in the villages are, are slow to speak, and they, they don't often say anything. But when they talk, you need to stop and listen. Alvin was one of these guys. Well, Alvin almost choked to death at, at this dinner. We're talking like we had the AED out. We had to get the kids out of the room. He was blue, about to fall out. We were giving him a Heimlich maneuver for like six or seven minutes. Um, and it wasn't, and I, again, another sidebar to my sidebar, it wasn't until we started praying before Alvin started breathing on his own, and we never saw anything discharged or anything like that. I don't, I don't know that it was miraculous, but I don't know that it wasn't. Anyways, Alvin that night, about two hours later, he gets up in front of everybody, all this room full of pastors, and out of this man's mouth just comes Scripture after Scripture after Scripture. I mean, we're Old Testament, New Testament, all tied together, making sense in this cohesive way. And I was so floored and so encouraged that this man, this little Eskimo guy, Alvin, this elder, had saw that it was important enough to memorize Scripture to actually go ahead and do it. I mean, it was incredible. It blessed everybody in that room. Alvin, when he was choking, I mean, one of the things several people said was, the guy just looked at peace. He just looked at peace. He's just like, well, whatever. The man was so full of God's Word. He was so full of God's Word. There's my sidebar for the... Morning. What time is it? I better not do too many of those. The Holy Spirit prompts us to worship. The Holy Spirit next empowers us for witness. Now we're getting back to our mission, right? The Holy Spirit empowers us for witness. Jesus said, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he he said, you heard from me. Now that was verse, uh, Acts 1-4, and now verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and all of Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Spirit-empowered witness is a powerful, powerful thing. We see that the Holy Spirit was given to us from God for a mission. He empowers us to witness to other people, to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Friends, we all agreed earlier in the, when I came up here, or many of us agreed, we would love to see an outpouring of the Spirit of God in our city. We would love to see, like the early church, thousands coming to Christ on a daily basis. Can I tell you, if we are going to see that, we must depend on the Holy Spirit of God to empower our witness. That means sometimes, we're going to have to get uncomfortable. Sometimes we're just going to have to start learning to pray, God, show me who you'd have me to speak to today. May your spirit prompt my words and prompt my heart. All too often, and I'm guilty of this, several years ago I was working at General Motors, and I was working on a sermon on evangelism, okay? I was preaching at the church. I was working on a sermon on evangelism. I'm working on an assembly line at the time. And the lady next to me just like wouldn't quit cursing, like dropping the F-bomb and all that. Just wouldn't quit cursing. And I actually remember thinking, I almost said it out loud, I wish you would just shut up so I could concentrate on my evangelism message. (laughs) Don't judge me because you know you've been there. (laughs) It was pretty embarrassing to tell you the truth. And it's like as soon as the thought came to my head, I'm like, oh, you idiot. You're missing it. You're missing it. Trying to deal with the symptom instead of the the problem. See, this woman, she needed Jesus Christ. She needed this gift that I had to offer. But I was too offended by what was coming out of her mouth to go be a witness empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. We do that too often, church. We focus on too many sins far too often and say, you know what, this is bad for society, in which it may be. It may very well be. But without a working of the Holy Spirit of God, we're fighting a losing battle. The problem isn't so much the symptom, but the disease. And we have the cure for that disease. Not only do we know that the gospel of Jesus Christ is real and can change lives, but we have the indwelling Holy Spirit to empower our message. How blessed are we! Number nine. The Holy Spirit enables us to understand and apply what is taught in the Word of God. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. 2 Timothy 3.16 Whatever the Spirit does will always line up with Scripture. Whatever the Spirit does will always line up and stay consistent with Scripture. He also enables us to understand Scripture. Next time you open your Bible, if you don't already do this, Next time, before you sit down and read, ask that the Holy Spirit of God will give you understanding for what you're about to read. That's one of his roles, to open our eyes, to, sh- to show us spiritual truths in God's Word. One of the works of the Holy Spirit is to help us to understand and apply what is taught in Scripture. The Spirit causes us to understand God's Word. We see this illustrated in, a story, in the story of, it, I'm sorry, that man, my notes are all kinds of jacked up today. If you're a Christ follower, you're a Christ follower because God buried his word deep into your life. If you're growing as a Christian, it's because the Holy Spirit is faithfully applying the word. That's his work. If you're growing as a Christian, it's because the Holy Spirit is working in you. And finally, the tenth work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will give life to our mortal bodies. Now this is an incredible promise, friends. Romans 8.11 If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus, the firstfruits, from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Which one of us in this room have not been touched or affected by death or will not be at some point? Oh, death, where is your sting? Why is the sting gone? Because Jesus, the first fruits of the resurrection, and the fact that we too will rise again. I've been with people as they passed on. And as difficult as that can be, when they are followers of Jesus Christ, there's also a bit of rejoicing going on. Not only are they spiritually going home, we recognize that they will one day be resurrected. Death does not get the final say for followers of Christ, friends. And that is very, very good news. And our world needs to hear it. Our world needs to see it. We need to be spiritually empowered. We need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to be witnesses. We need to be growing in Christ. Friends, I'm not kidding. I want to see a huge work of the Holy Spirit in our city. I want to see a huge work of God. I want to see thousands come to Christ, and I believe a lot of you want that too. I think the way that's going to have to start is maybe with us on our knees. There's this guy, Gypsy Smith. He was a uh, revivalist. I don't know. A, I wish they'd call me that. Dan Corral's a revivalist. Gypsy Smith was a revivalist. And um, um, I believe at the turn of the 19th century at some of the Welch revivals, somebody came to Gypsy and said, Gypsy, we want to see revival. I want to see revival. What has to happen? Like, give me the equation. What do I need to do to see revival? Gypsy goes, I can help you. He says, do you have a place where you can go and pray? The man says, yeah, I have a place I can go to pray. He says, good. Take this piece of chalk. Go to that place where you pray. Lock yourself in it. Get on your knees and draw a circle around yourself. And do not move until God brings revival into everything in that circle. Friends, if we're going to see a huge working of the Holy Spirit, I think we need to uh, listen to Gypsy's words here. As followers of Jesus, prayer is a very powerful thing. What would happen if all of us just started praying? Clearwater Church, 2 Covenant Church, Change Point. What would happen if all of us just started praying earnestly for a working of the Holy Spirit of God in our city? I tell you, I believe what would happen would be a changed city. I believe that the God would honor those requests and people would come to him. It would be an incredible thing. I have two challenges for you this morning. First of all, the, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have the benefit of the indwelling Holy Spirit. How submitted to you are you to his leading? How submitted to the Holy Spirit and his leading are, are you? And how, how submitted am I? That's the first challenge. The second challenge is this. If you are not surrendered to Christ, if you have yet to accept the risen Savior as Lord, you do not have the benefit of the indwelling Holy Spirit. You do not have the promises associated to the follower of Jesus. Won't you change that this morning? Won't you change that this morning? I'd invite the band to come up, and then we're going to close with a word of prayer. Or I'm going to close with a word of prayer. If you'd bow your heads and close your eyes. The first challenge is to us followers of Jesus Christ. We have the benefit of the indwelling Holy Spirit. How submitted are we? If you recognize this morning that you just haven't been very submitted to the Holy Spirit of God and you want to change that, would you just lift up your hand? I'm going to pray for you, not by name or anything like that. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you as your children, empowered by your Spirit and saved by your Son. Yet for some reason, so often, we neglect your Holy Spirit and your guiding. The power that comes from your Spirit. God, help us to remember anew this morning, to be filled afresh with your Spirit. To become completely dependent upon you. With our heads down and our eyes remaining closed, maybe you're in the room and this all sounds like a mystery to you and you have not yet put your faith into Jesus Christ. This could be the greatest day of your life if you would just accept Him. If you would just put your faith in Him. I don't want to do a soft sale here. Let me tell you, it's going to cost something. It's going to cost absolutely everything. If Jesus is going to be Lord, He's going to be Lord over your entire life. Not just Sundays. Every day. Can I tell you this as well? It is so, so completely worth it. If this morning you're sitting in this room and you've yet to surrender your life to Jesus Christ and make Him Lord... Would you just slip up your hand? I'm going to do the same for you. I'm just going to say a quick prayer for you. God, what a powerful thing to be in the witness of a working of your Holy Spirit. For the hand that went up this morning, God, I pray. I pray that you become so real. I pray that this commitment will stick and I rejoice in the newness of life brought to to us from you. God, we love you and praise you. And if this is the morning where you're going to accept Jesus to be your Lord, you can just say a prayer like this silently. Dear Heavenly Father, I know that I'm a sinner. I believe that you sent your Son, Jesus, to come live a perfect life, to die on the cross and be risen again. I ask that you spe- send your Holy Spirit to come guide me, direct me, and help me to grow in you. God, we thank you again for newness of life. We thank you for your word. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.